The talk this evening is uh, on the integration of spirituality. Many of the qualities which are fundamental to the development of meditation are the very same qualities which are very fundamental to the development of clear and sensitive relationships. In fact, which are fundamental to living with sensitivity and care and understanding in every area of our lives. Probably one of the greatest tragedies that ever happened or has ever happened in the history of spirituality is that spirituality has become goal-oriented. Spirituality has come to revolve around experiences, around goals, around states, around achieving and attaining. And in that, spirituality has become very divorced from much of the actuality of our daily lives. A spiritual life is often equated with a particular mode of existence. The fulfillment of meditation is often equated with particular attainments or experiences, with gaining something or achieving something. And in all of those equations, both meditation and our own vision of spirituality has become divorced from our from social action, from political action, from sexuality, from relationship. In fact, become divorced from many of the areas of our lives in which we express our humanness. Sometimes a spiritual person or a spiritually evolved person is perceived as being a person who has managed to distance themselves from relationship, from outer action. Once I was talking to someone being on a retreat somewhere and they were speaking about the teacher that they'd been with. And they described the teacher as being just a bundle of elements and how wonderful it was that this teacher was just a bundle of elements sitting there and that when you knocked or, or or spoke, there was really no one home. Yes, there's that kind of very kind of barren and dry perception of a spiritual teacher also carries over into so many, many different areas of spirituality. A spiritual life often perceived as being a life that essentially takes place in a monastery or in an intensive retreat situation. And similarly, meditation is perceived as something that happens when you sit down on your cushion and ends when you leave your cushion. And depth in meditation, a deepening or progress in meditation, is often measured by the number of experiences we've gained or by the amount of concentration we've managed to achieve. Our spiritual vision of ourselves and our vision of spirituality as a path of vitality and meaning is extraordinarily limited by these models and equations. Just as our meditation becomes very limited as long as we have these ideas and images of what should be taking place, what we should be achieving, who we should be becoming, Something very tragic 
I feel happens to spirituality. Something very tragic happens to our vision of ourselves when we become lost in the models and in the myths and the misconceptions. And that basically spirituality loses its power to transform our lives on a moment-to-moment level. Because in all of these equations and models, spirituality becomes very much confined to space and to time. Becomes restricted, not by its very essence, but it comes, becomes restricted by our own misperceptions, our own models which are clung to or identified with. And something that very tragic that happens to spirituality when it becomes something that is confined to space and to time is that spirituality becomes almost separated and divorced from its own essence. Because the essence of spirituality is the end of pain, the end of conflict. The essence of spirituality is the end of limitation and of freedom. And that essence can never belong or be confined to any particular space or to any particular time. Sometimes our models are taken for granted, (coughs) assumed to be a reality. Yet, if our own spirituality, our own meditation, is really to have any meaning, having any vitality, have any power to transform, then our spirituality means a willingness to question our models, a willingness to question our belief systems, as a spiritual ideal, as an actuality in our lives. Are we seeking to become a bundle of elements? Or is the actuality of our own spiritual path expressed through a wish to be able to live in relationship with the world, with other people, with nature, in a caring, understanding, sensitive way? And surely if that is the choice that we make in our lives, that we choose not to be divorced from living, from so many of the dynamics of living, then that choice involves not distancing ourselves. That choice doesn't involve trying to create a separation between ourselves and the world. But instead, that choice involves a new vision of spirituality. That choice involves looking anew at the vision that we have of spirituality. That choice involves very much a path of nurturing, nurturing the heart, nurturing openness, nurturing love, nurturing balance and understanding in the midst of every moment of our lives. Because no growth can possibly come in a very transforming or powerful way when our spirituality is somehow reserved for a particular time and a particular place. Certainly this separation of spirituality from so many of the dynamics of living has not contributed to a world in which there is a decrease of violence and aggression, exploitation and oppression. And the world that we live in desperately and urgently needs a nurturing approach in spirituality 
which will bring spirituality into the midst of our interactions, our relationships. Because every relationship that we have with one another, every relationship we have with another person, is simply a microcosm of every other relationship we have. The relationship that we have with ourselves is a microcosm of every other relationship. And there's simply no way that we can separate ourselves as an individual from the world in which we live. And when we look outwardly, we see so much anger, so much grief, so much pain. And when we question in the scene of that how change possibly begins, how transformation possibly begins, I cannot feel myself that change can come through turning away, neither does change necessarily come through throwing oneself into an outer life. But change must certainly begin to come when we begin within our own being, within our own lives, to bring about that transformation and movement through understanding and awareness. When we move beyond the kind of limitations and constrictions of anger, of greed, of defensiveness. Because that freedom within ourselves then is very spontaneously expressed in every relationship we live in. And that freedom within ourselves allows us to touch the heart of another person and to contribute of that, our own being, the own, our own essence of our being in every moment of our lives as a gift to the world in which we live. The essence of spirituality <clears throat> is the end of pain. It is the end of conflict. To really discover that essence within ourselves, we simply can't afford to make separations. If we care about the well-being of the world in which we live, if we care about the well-being of our relationships, if we care about the well-being of ourselves, we simply cannot afford to make divisions. Because there is really nothing more pressing, nothing more urgent, nothing more vital in our lives and in the world than the need for understanding, the need for love, and the need for compassion. This model <coughs> of meditation as being something that you do when you sit down on a cushion, that you go through particular practices and techniques, and you get up off the cushion or you lead a retreat, leave a retreat, and somehow that leaving or departure signals the end of one's meditation. And that is what it means when we have a model of meditation as being something that is confined to space and time. That model reinforces the idea of meditation as being something very special that you do. And of course, we have all these props that encourage those models. In fact, there's a whole industry that is almost devoted to encouraging this model of meditation as being something that is done. You know, this industry that produces these endless props that we find all around us here, you know, the special cushion, the special uniform, the special blanket, the special zabutan. And it's almost as if all of these are kind of props and equipment that so often on a subtle level in the mind become associated with this is meditation. 
We certainly, when we see a Zafu, have a certain association that we don't necessarily have when we see a line-up at the lunch counter. And yet that model comes through our own being, it comes through our own construction. No one imposes that model upon us, and yet the very acceptance of the model creates so much limitation and creates so much stagnation in meditation. As long as we are tied to those models, then it's all too easy for meditation to become a ritual. Not a ritual that you perform for anybody else's kind of feedback or affirmation, but almost a ritual that many people find themselves in danger of going through. The ritual that comes through familiarity, that one is accustomed to sitting. It's like a second home, the Zafu. You become very familiar with it. You know, you sit down, the posture's there, the uniform's there, and everything kind of clicks into place. And yet so often, as we know, the repetition of anything in our lives, when it, particularly when it's limited by images and by models, so often does breed stagnation, so often does breed dullness. And unless there's a real inner questioning, a real inner inquiry, then it's very difficult to get out of that model of what meditation is. It's that willingness to question and willingness to inquire that allows us to get up off a zafu, to move out of a meditation room, and not to have that sense inwardly of something has finished. Something has ended for us. And now we move into a different sphere of activity, a different way of being that doesn't demand of us the same qualities that we associate with meditation. Because those qualities that we associate with meditation are the qualities that make spirituality a moment-to-moment way of living when they are brought into the moment. Those qualities that we call upon when we sit down of attention and sensitivity are the very qualities which bring transformation to any area of our lives. But they only bring that transformation or have the potential to bring that transformation when we move beyond our own models and our own images. If we see a spiritual life as being a particular mode of existence, a particular way of living, as being confined to you know, a very uh, reclusive, a very kind of focused way of life, perhaps in a monastery, perhaps in a retreat situation, then how do we relate to a life of relationship? How do we relate to a life of work? How do we relate to a life of outer care and outer activity? So often the relationship is one of feeling that it is slightly less holy, slightly more worldly, somewhat more inferior. And of course, as long as that duality exists, then that reinforces the whole tendency to bring much less care to the moment, as if the moment is of less significance because it's taking place in a different expression. All of these models have little really to do with spirituality. Spirituality is concerned with freedom. Spirituality is concerned with the end of suffering. The path of spirituality is the path of being sensitive, of being conscious. It's a path of 
being with what is, a path of balance, a path of understanding and clarity in the moment. Love, compassion, sensitivity are certainly not goals to be achieved through meditation, but they are actually in themselves paths of meditation. These models are often created because the essence of spirituality in terms of fulfillment, in terms of freedom, in terms of love and compassion, the essence of spirituality is often perceived as a goal. The essence of spirituality is often perceived as something that will be attained in the future. Clarity, peace, freedom are so frequently seen as being the results of a path. And because they're perceived as being results of a path rather than a path in themselves, of course meditation does become goal-oriented. Meditation does become experience-centered. Meditation does come to revolve around achieving, around attaining, around ideas of progress and regression. This projection of those qualities into the future as kind of goals to attain. I feel it's a projection that plays a major role in this kind of image or model, image of meditation as being such a hard and miserable path. Because certainly it's an image that many people have in meditation. And often the more people sit, the stronger that image gets. And often the path of meditation is perceived basically as a path of misery. And that the more you suffer, the deeper you're going. And the more you suffer, or the more pain you have, means the more open you're becoming, or the more you're, you're getting free of. And unfortunately, meditation and spirituality has come to have this kind of association. So particularly, you know, one sees, who looks at any Buddhist picture, you know, and you see these kind of downturned mouths, you know, and, life, and meditation and life is such a terribly intense and serious business. You go in almost any other tradition, you know, you go in the Hindu tradition, the Christian tradition, you see these beaming faces. You wonder whether there's a difference in some ways the perception of spirituality. Of course, meditation seems such a hard and such a long path. When one is focused upon these qualities as being goals that exist in the future, and when you look in the present, one only sees the hindrances to them. If those qualities of love and compassion and understanding are not actually practiced as a path of meditation, as something that is nurtured in the moment, then what we experience in the moment are the apparent hindrances to them. Of course, we see all these things that we have to let go of, overcome and transcend and renounce. And the more that we let go of, the more that there seems to let go of. And the more that we renounce, the more that there seems to renounce. It's not in any way to say that renunciation and letting go is not an essential part of the path of spirituality. But nurturing, developing and opening, of the, nurturing those qualities of love and understanding and sensitivity are also a path of meditation in themselves. And the way that we approach meditation, the way in which we practice, whether it is with misery or whether it is with a sense of appreciation and sensitivity, influences every perception that we have. 
It influences our perception of ourselves. It influences our perception of the world that we live in, of other people. And it influences our perception, our vision of what spirituality is. Unfortunately, it becomes very difficult to sustain meditation when it's perceived as a joyless path. It's very difficult to sustain it. The Buddha spoke of the path of meditation as being the path of happiness to the highest happiness, which is not, of course, to say that in the whole development of meditation there are not times of pain, there are not times of conflict, there are not times of, of confusion and, and, and uh, disillusionment. Of course, that is all part of our own inner journey. But there is also a tremendous amount of joy in meditation. And it's that joy in meditation which is an essential ingredient for our capacity to sustain meditation and for our capacity to bring meditation into every moment of our lives. And the discovery of joy in meditation, the discovery of peace, of love, of understanding, on a moment-to-moment level, is an essential part in affirming to ourselves that this path is one of meaning, is one of significance, and is one which brings change. Because yet the more we connect with those feelings, the qualities within ourselves, within our own practice, is that the more that we are able to connect with those feelings and qualities in other people and express those feelings and qualities through our thoughts, through our speech, and through our actions. In meditation, here we need to be able, in many ways, to reap the benefits of the practice as we practice. Not to see the benefits of meditation just as some kind of future reward, but to see them in the moment. And that does mean examining how we actually experience ourselves in meditation. And how we actually experience ourselves in meditation, of course, can't be separated from how we actually experience ourselves in our relationships and in the rest of our lives. There needs to be an integration of our spiritual vision, our spiritual practice into every moment of our lives. Now we've heard that so often that it's become a cliché which tends to just kind of run through the consciousness. And yet, if we find in our practice that there is stagnation, if we find in our practice that there's a sense of a lack of development or fulfillment, if we find in our lives that there is little real change coming about, real little transformation, then on some level those words have not been integrated. They've not been really heard in the heart sufficiently enough to inspire us to really look at the actuality of our practice and to really look at the actuality of our lives. Because spirituality as a way of being, as a way of living, as a way of seeing, means an ongoing process of a deepening in clarity, a deepening in love, a deepening in understanding. It means being able to ask ourselves a question of, 
Do we feel that we are growing as an individual? Do we feel that we are really nourishing ourselves? Do we feel that we are really contributing in a dynamic way to the well-being of our relationships, the world we live in? It's being able to ask ourselves those questions and being able to feel a sense of affirmation. Spirituality is concerned with peace and with serenity. If we feel an absence of peace and serenity within ourselves, within our lives, I don't feel that it's an expression of wisdom to project those qualities into the future as something that we'll attain or achieve at some future date. We need to be able to question what prevents peace now. What prevents serenity now? What prevents a sense of rapport and integration and harmony in our lives now? Of course, it's all too easy to place a responsibility for a lack of peace outside of ourselves. It's all too easy to say that if only my life was different, or if only I had this, or if only I didn't have this, if only other people were different, if only my living, living situation was different, then I would feel more peace. But none of those things really have the power to totally suffocate a sense of peace within ourselves unless there is already a sense inwardly of alienation from that quality of peace and serenity. To really live in a way of spirituality often involves radical change in our lives, both inwardly and outwardly. And probably for most of us, it's true that not a lot of growth happens in our lives, not a lot of change happens without renunciation, without letting go, without letting go of things that really hinder clarity, without letting go inwardly and outwardly of experiences, existences, states of mind that create confusion, that create limitation. It's often difficult to make change because we often have these very mixed motivations where we know that something creates a certain amount of dullness or confusion in our lives and yet at the same time we get a certain amount of satisfaction from it. There's probably many, many things in our lives that fall within that area. Many habits, many activities, many occupations. And yet, if we treasure peace, if we really treasure peace, then we have to equally treasure the path to peace. Because we cannot really treasure peace or realistically anticipate that we will know peace in our lives or within ourselves unless we actually live in a way of peace. A life of peace is a life of sensitivity, a life where there's an end of dullness, of insensitivity, of exploitation, of aggression in any way, a life of peace and actually living in a way of peace means 
not holding on to our anger, our competitiveness, not holding on to destructive patterns, our tendencies, not clinging to our needs of, to defend, to assert over another. As long as those states or experiences are happening within ourselves, essentially what we experience is a lack of harmony, a lack of rapport. As long as we are holding on to negativity, to ill will, to competitiveness, essentially we experience a tremendous amount of separation between the inner and the outer. We experience alienation or we experience competition. Peace begins when we begin to dedicate ourselves inwardly to peace, to living in peace, which means essentially being able to let go, not to cherish, not to cherish our reactions, not to cherish our images, not to cherish our dislikes. And often it seems that it's very difficult to let go, but actually it's much more difficult to hold on to things. When we experience the effects of really holding on to ill will or conflict, it's much more difficult to hold on to things than it is to let go. It's much more difficult to live in conflict than it is to live in peace. Essentially, though, it takes some sort of inner dedication, some sort of inner willingness to be able again and again and again to be able to look at those experiences within ourselves as they are happening. And we have so many opportunities to do it. This is the wonder of living in confusion. One has so many opportunities to work with it. You know, you meet someone, you find you have an image of them based on a past impression. You withdraw, you turn away, or you extend a certain amount of coldness. Is it possible in that moment to go beyond that? To see how real that image is? To see whether it's not possible that some change has come about in another person and in ourselves? It's very easy, you know, you're sitting in the meditation room, you get the odd mosquito wandering around. It's very easy to feel some, to be some sort of victim of some sort of mosquito conspiracy that you have to wipe out. And yet every time we do it, of course, there's no appreciation of the moment, there's no relationship. It's very easy simply to follow the pathways in the mind of what is familiar, the holding on to things, the ill will, the dislike, the rejections, and yet it creates for us such a life of difficulty, such a life of limitation. And it's just so very, very hard on ourselves to live in that way. Letting go, being able to let go of things, is actually an act of compassion directed inwardly. It's an act of compassion and love for ourselves to be able to let go of ill will, to be able to let go of anger. So frequently, just an act of care, an act of love for our own well-being, and in that act of love and care for our own well-being, we also make a gift of love and care to the world in which we live. Certainly the whole presence of desire plays a very major role 
in the absence of peace, in the presence of conflict. Certainly being tied to desire means being tied to a turmoil of moving away from things, resisting things, trying to get things, moving towards things. Being very much tied to our likes and dislikes also means being tied to our expectations, our avoidances, our images, all which create such a kind of whirlwind in the mind and breeds this kind of mind which is always wanting things to be different, which is always wanting things to be different than they are, which is not to say that in life everything is acceptable and we should just stay the same. But it's that personal kind of desire to constantly modify and manipulate the world and other people in order to fit in with one's own preconceived desires of how things should be. And how our own preconceived ideas of how things should be may have really very little to do with the actuality of how things are. Our ideas of how things should be are often really tied up to what enhances me. And often this desire to manipulate, to modify, to constantly alter the way things are is in order to maintain that sense of security of I, of self. And yet in that manipulation and modification, so often what we deny to ourselves is our capacity to appreciate what is, to really be open to what is in the moment. And it's only when we can really appreciate and be open to what is in the moment that we can learn through it. It's when we're trying to modify and manipulate all the time, it becomes very difficult to learn because that consumes so much energy, becomes such an involvement. It's when we can actually be with what is, not in an apathetic or passive way, but a clear way, which is the beginning of change when change is needed when we can appreciate what is, that, we be, be, that the moment and what it brings to us begins to be a vehicle for understanding and for growth. Harmony in life is living in accord with actuality. Peace is certainly not the absence of anything disturbing, anything challenging, anything threatening. Inner peace, inner serenity, is the capacity to be with what is without prejudice, without denial, without rejection. And that appreciation of what is, that openness to what is, brings a rapport, brings a sense of integration, unity between the inner and the outer. It brings a sense of harmony where there's an openness and a receptivity. And that appreciation of what is, is what opens the heart. That appreciation of what is in the moment is the forerunner to love, to compassion, to sensitivity, to understanding. The capacity to be with what is, is the capacity to touch what is and to be touched by it. And that openness of the heart, the real development of love, the nurturing of love, can only take place in an environment where there is that fundamental rapport, a fundamental harmony between the inner and the outer, which takes a tremendous amount of energy. It takes a tremendous amount of energy to be present and to be conscious. And it often seems to take much more energy than we seem to have available to us. 
Now, if we find ourselves to be feeling lacking in energy, then we do have to question what consumes our energy. Because being conscious doesn't consume energy. Being present in the moment, being sensitive, being, being there, being really present, breathes energy. It creates energy. What does consume energy is being unconscious. What does really consume energy is being inattentive, is being fragmented. What does consume energy is being tied to this endless cycle of resistance, avoidance and pursuit. Fantasy, endless preoccupation with modification. All of that consumes so much energy. To actually be conscious in the moment means that we begin to tap new sources of energy within ourselves. We begin to discover new sources, new, new dimensions of energy within ourselves in each moment. And that energy brings inspiration. It brings the inspiration to be really present. If you feel really awake, if you feel clear in the moment, there's a tremendous amount of inspiration to be present and to bring that sense of being present into every moment. And inspiration comes also from sensitivity and from compassion. It's very easy in our lives when we become dull or we become somewhat alienated or disconnected, it's very easy in our lives to kind of go through life with blinkers on. You know, you can sit at the table in the morning and listen to the radio or read the newspaper and you read all of these statistics about what's happening in the world, you know, that all oh, these people are being killed by bombs, that these people are starving to death, that these children are dying because they have no medicine, that there's this kind of uh, tidal wave and, you know, so many thousand are homeless. And it's very easy for us somehow in this culture to simply absorb endless statistics without necessarily even being touched. There's a certain kind of barrier there. And it's a barrier, I fear, which is born both of defensiveness and dullness. But if one takes the blinkers off just once, there's a tremendous amount of energy that is born of compassion, an energy to be present that recognizes the need for love and for sensitivity and for understanding. Because if one takes the blinkers off just once, you are really touched. One really realizes that the mother who loses her child through a lack of food feels exactly the same pain as we would feel. That the person who loses a brother or a sister through a bomb feels exactly the same grief as we would feel. That a person who is homeless, without shelter, without anything to rely upon, would f does feel in their heart exactly the same sense of disconnection, of being lost, of being alone, as we would feel. And just taking the blinkers off, just allowing the heart to open, means being touched by the world that we live in. Means being touched by the kind of fundamental oneness that is there between all beings. And that opening of the heart brings energy, and it brings inspiration, it brings motivation, and it brings a real, totally clear, seeing 
of the need for our spirituality to be something that we live, something that we practice, something that we express in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions. We have a power available to us, which is a very priceless power, in that we have the power and the freedom to be aware. We have the power and the freedom to cultivate being conscious, being awake, being alive. And that is a freedom and a power which is so special and so priceless. And the power to be aware and to be conscious means the power to bring about and grow in understanding, in sensitivity, in love and in freedom. And that inner growth, that inner foundation is the foundation for bringing about change inwardly and outwardly. It's the foundation for developing and nurturing our own well-being and the well-being of the world that we live in. May all beings live with sensitivity. May all beings live with love. May our beings live with compassion. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.